1: So far, Lee Oswald has only been accused of killing a Dallas policeman. As far as the assassination is concerned, he is described only as a prime suspect. He has denied any knowledge of the assassination of the president. Although he once actually turned in his American passport in Moscow, it's not known whether he actually became a Russian citizen. His wife is known to be Russian-born. They most recently lived in a rooming house in Dallas. Again, he was arrested in New Orleans last August after he got into a fight while distributing material for the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Here is the interview he gave at that time to station WDSU-TV in New Orleans. No, sir, I'm not a communist, and uh, I think that the the, uh, red herring and so forth is rather uh, uh, ridiculous to toss into this conversation. And are you a Marxist? Well, I have uh, studied Marxist philosophy, yes sir, and also other philosophers. But are you a Marxist? I think you did admit on an earlier radio interview that you uh, that you consider yourself a Marxist. Well, oh, I would very definitely say that I, uh, I uh, am a Marxist. That is correct. But I, that does not mean, however, that I'm a, a uh, communist. What is the difference between the two? Well, there's a great deal of difference. Several uh, American parties in several countries are based on Marxism, such as Ghana. Uh, Ghana. Uh, certain countries have uh, characteristics uh, of a socialist system, such as Great Britain with its uh, socialized medicine. Uh, These, then, are the differences between an outright communist country and countries which adhere to leftist or Marxist uh, uh, principles. In your work with the Fair Play for Cuba committee, uh, what are you advocating? We advocate restoration of diplomatic trade and tourist relations with Cuba.
2: Good citizens of the world and welcome to the Lone Gunman Podcast, episode number 81. Eight, one. That's right. It's just me, your boy, Rob Clark today. No guest. And we're going to be talking about Lee Harvey Oswald. Not so much, is he guilty or is he innocent? Well, some of that. Uh, a lot of who he was. Who he claimed to be, who others think he was. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into it, a special message, a special message from my friends at R.O.K.C.
1: This is a very dangerous and uncertain world. No one expects uh, that uh, our life will be easy. Certainly not in this decade and perhaps not in this century. The R.O.K.C. Reopen the Kennedy Case proudly presents the first ever Australian JFK conference in Melbourne, Australia this November. Join us on a quest for justice and truth with inspirational speakers and some of the world's leading authorities on the Kennedy assassination. Featured guest speakers include Citizens for Truth about the Kennedy assassination speaker and acclaimed author James Eugenio, Gail Nix Jackson, author and granddaughter of Orville Nix, and Australia's very own Peter Morris. For more info, buy your tickets at stickytickets.com slash Conference, because justice is never too late.
2: Why are those tickets sticky, Greg? (laughs) Which brings us to the point, you know, November 22nd is coming quick. It's coming quickly. It's already September 22nd. We got two months, uh, till everything starts to heat up and these conferences start to roll. Um, so please, if you're looking for a vacation, um, people that aren't actually in Australia, um, and you want to get away and have a nice vacation and incorporate some JFK goodness into your vacation, what better way to do it than to plan on heading to Melbourne this November? And trust me, I know i got people all over the world listening. People in New Zealand, I see you. Australia, I hope you're getting this message. If you can make it to this conference, do it. There's going to be a lot of great speakers and a lot of good information there. So check it out. Also, Greg Parker's second book, uh, of the Lee Harvey Oswald's Cold War series is out, and available, and cheap on Amazon.com. So go get it. I highly recommend it. Um. Also, Lancer is having another conference in Dallas this year. The Lone Gunman podcast is happy to be a media partner with Lancer this year. So check it out, people. If you're close to Dallas and and you want to. Here, good conference. Uh, get your butt to Dallas and check it out. Also, JudyCon 2015 is happening in New Orleans in October. Stay away at all costs unless you're a fan of fiction. You know, and what Joan Mellon is doing going there is beyond me. I mean, is uh, are things that bad? I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's one conference I recommend you stay away from this year. Cause it's a whole lot of nonsense. And, uh, so there's that. Now back to what we're going to be talking about this week. Okay. We're going to be talking a whole lot of Lee Harvey Oswald. And it kind of stems from some conversations had in, uh, lone nut groups uh, and the like of people who think they know who Lee Harvey Oswald was. And there's a reason we call these people lone nutters. Okay? It's because they think he was crazy. Okay? That's their only explanation for why Oswald would have killed Kennedy. Because they don't have a better one. Like a real motive. Okay? Because... When you actually stop and think about it for just a minute, okay? I can understand people that are disgruntled with how their life is. Believe me, I know. I'm living it every day, okay? But I would never, ever contemplate shooting a president of the United States because of that. You know, there's people all the time that have road rage. They, uh, they're they not happy with their job. Maybe their boss screwed them over. So, you know, they go on a work rampage. And they'll take their gun into work and kill, kill their boss and some co-workers they didn't like. Whatever, whatever. I understand that. I do. I understand that. But why would you kill a president? Why? You would either have to have a serious motive, like a seriously serious problem with JFK's policies. And everything that we know indicates that Oswald didn't have a problem with JFK and his policies. In fact he was known to mention that he liked JFK and what he was doing. So there's that problem. Okay. Now another problem that you're going to have with this scenario of Oswald as this crazy person. Okay. Just for example, okay, there's other crazy people out there that have shot people. Um, and got caught people like John Hinckley, people like Mark David Chapman, people like Seer hand, Okay. Now I can understand and, and trust me, I don't, I believe all these were conspiracy. Okay. You call me crazy, but, uh, I don't care. Um, the easiest one to point out is, of course, RFK and Sirhan Seerhan. You know, from the autopsy report from Thomas Noguchi stating that Kennedy was shot from behind, right behind the ear, there's gunpowder residue right behind his ear, which means that the shooter had to be close and behind him. Okay, Sirhan was in front of him and had his hand pinned to a table maybe after he shot two or three times. So you know you can't always trust the official story it's easy to debunk the whole seer hand thing yeah he was there yeah he was had a gun yeah he was shooting at, at kennedy rfk um but there's also a ton of other things you have to look at okay and of course seer can't deny it he was there he there was witnesses and it happened so you know, the Oswald story is almost unique in that he wasn't caught red-handed. He didn't claim responsibility for his actions, supposedly. Um, not even, he didn't even cop to killing a cop, to killing J.D. Tippett. So, you know, and there's supposedly 10, 12 witnesses it's, that saw him at the scene of the tippet crime or fleeing. Uh, so if you're caught red handed, why wouldn't you admit to it? You know, you know, people saw you, what you just did. Okay. There's really no denying it. Um, unless you're delusional, um, or seriously mentally ill, which we have no indications that Oswald was period. You know, he wouldn't have been able to hold a job, Uh, or things of this nature. He wouldn't have been able to function as he did in Russia. He wouldn't have been able to function as he did in the Marine Corps, and on and on and on. So, we can wipe that one off the table. Now, Oswald had plenty of opportunity in custody to take credit for what he had just done. If he was some kind of an idealist, or narcissist, or... Egotistical. Okay? But he didn't. Okay? He did not. You know, this guy, he he emphatically denied these charges, to quote him. Um, And he wanted legal representation because he knew he was getting ramrodded. Now, and not once did he ever admit anything to anybody. This includes his own wife his brother his mother the police Ruth Payne or other folks in jail not once did he admit to doing anything that he was accused of that's it now I'm going to read you a little quote from Alone Nutter, just so you can see what they think about Lee Oswald. And this comes from Jake Carter from the Fair Play for JFK group. He was a self-made intellectual. He was an introvert who had social problems. He was not afraid of things normal people would be afraid of because he had a drive to accomplish things for himself. He was narcissistic and had a lack of empathy for others. He could be violent to not lose control of his life. He was very insecure and sadly that led to his posturing. And then somebody else quotes, "a uh, failure to thrive. Okay. And like I said, I think I've said it on this show. If not, I know I've said it in the groups that, you know, everybody likes to say that Lee Oswald was a failure, a loser. Okay? But let's let's step back and take a look at Lee Oswald's life for a second. Okay? He was gainfully employed, helping his mother out to pay bills as a teenager. He always had a job. Now, whether it was a messenger boy, working at a shoe store, working at Two Jacks, Uh, whatever, okay, he had a job, and he helped his mom out by giving her money, and he wanted to follow in his brother's footsteps and join the Marine Corps, which is a goal he accomplished. He did that, okay? Now, while in the Marine Corps, one of two things could have happened, He could have been disillusioned after he got there and decided, hey, this ain't for me, or he could have been approached and offered an opportunity to do something for an intelligence service, like defect to Russia. Now, for somebody to defect to Russia, you either really, really want to go or you want to try something new and prove to yourself and other people that it can be done and that you can do it and that, hey, you can trust me to get this done. Okay. You know, the supposedly he taught himself Russian. Okay. Supposedly. I think that's a pretty lofty goal that he accomplished to teach himself Russian. He made it to Russia you know, which is a hard journey for me if I wanted to go tomorrow. How would I go about getting to Russia um, if I didn't fly there directly? Well, it's a long, hard journey, okay? And I honestly wouldn't exactly know how about how to do it. Um, and I'm sure I could Google something to help me, but Lee Oswald didn't have Google. Okay. He didn't have Google Maps. He didn't have, you know, freighter routes at his fingertips. He didn't have hotels. He didn't have the best information about how to get into the Soviet communist bloc. Um but he managed to do it. Okay? So there you go. He accomplished another one of his goals. Either it was his personal goal or it was an intelligence-driven, quote, work goal. And he did it. He did it. He it He made it to the Soviet Union. He made it into the Soviet Union. And he managed to defect to the Soviet Union. And he managed to stay in the Soviet Union. Okay? Think for a second. Okay, either this guy is crazy enough to protect... Tend to want to kill himself so the Soviets will let him stay there or you think that really that the Soviets not letting him stay in Russia is worth killing yourself over I mean what makes more sense to fake it so you can stay because he knew his tourist guide was coming okay he knew that he knew exactly when she was coming so, it's not out of the realm of possibility. He, he, you know, his wounds, I don't think, required many stitches. So, they couldn't have been that deep. Blood looks really bad in water in a bathtub. It looks like a lot when it's really not. Um, so, either the guy was really, really smart. Or really, really desperate. Or really, really dumb. Because why... Would not being able to defect to Russia be worth killing yourself over? It doesn't make sense at that point in his life. Why is it life or death to stay in Russia? Ask yourself that. Why is it life or death to stay in Russia? Because you want to complete your assignment, you want to prove to people who put their trust in you that you can do it despite any obstacle anything that happens you can figure out a way to overcome it and make it happen that sounds like a goal achieved to me and of course he wanted to fall in love who doesn't want to fall in love who doesn't want to meet a beautiful woman a beautiful girl and fall in love and marry and have beautiful babies with every man okay and you know what Oswald managed to do it. Okay? Uh, he didn't try his first time out. I mean, he, did, he didn't succeed his first time out. But that didn't stop him from trying. Okay? You know, he was very... active in Russia to find a girl, as a matter of fact. And he had his sight set on one. And they went out for a while and... Oswald asked her to marry him, and and she freaked out and said, No, get away from me. Uh, I've only known you like a week or two. And so he moved on. Now, was this a personal goal that he wanted to achieve? Or was this somehow beneficial to letting him stay in Russia if he could marry a Russian woman? Hmm. I don't know. But either way, sounds like goal is achieved. Okay, and now to cement that with the woman you love, who doesn't want to create a beautiful new life? Have a child. He accomplished that goal. He had a child now with a beautiful Russian girl who, granted, had some jacked up teeth, but nonetheless, a beautiful Russian girl. Um. So he managed to accomplish that, and all the all the while bolster his ability to actually stay in Russia, and not get kicked out. And he was living okay in Russia. In fact, he was living better than the average Russian was in Russia. They gave him a very nice, spacious apartment. That was likely bugged to 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 the moon and back, but nonetheless, a spacious apartment. He had a good job at a factory. And he was making more than the average Russian in pay. And he was making friends. He had a lot of friends in Russia that he would go hunting with, that he would hang out with, that he would do things with, i.e. Ernst Titovitz. Go read his book. And he's at the audio recordings to back it up. Oswald was having a blast in Russia. He was having a good time. He was having fun. Okay, he was young. He's living his life. Either he had just accomplished his goal of actually getting into Russia, staying in Russia, marrying a Russian, and uh, collecting intel all along the way, or he was so enamored with Marxism that he wanted to defect to Russia and live there for a while. Either way, goal accomplished, right? Right now let's move on a bit to the return home. Okay. Now either he was told it was time to come home or he realized that if he didn't leave soon, he might not be able to. So despite not having the money to actually return, He managed to get a loan, he managed for Marina to get a quick visa, and himself a visa, and his child a visa, and he managed to come back to the United States. Either way, goal achieved. Okay? Now, if he, and I say if, but I really believe he was debriefed by the FBI and CIA upon his return to the United States, And he was able to give them some kind of intelligence about life behind the Iron Curtain. uh, You know, where this installation was, where uh, the supermarket was, what the daily life was like. You know, and on and on and on. Then, goal accomplished. Mission accomplished. You know. He went there. He did it. He made it back. And he was able to let them know things that they would never have known before. Because... Hello, it's the Soviet Union in the early 60s. The Iron Curtain is down. Nobody can see in, nobody can get word out. But Lee Oswald penetrated that Iron Curtain and made it back to tell the tale. Now, once back, okay, he managed to pay back his repatriation loan in fairly short order. Now, $400 today might not seem like a lot to you or me, uh, but it was a good bit back then. I mean, that would be like paying off a car in a couple months nowadays, you know, ten twelve $12,000 car. That's hard to do when you're making minimum wage or close to it. I mean, you have to live in the now, right? You have to pay rent, you have to buy groceries, you have to buy clothes, you have to have power, you have to have water, you know, you have to have certain things. Um, and, And when you have babies, or a child, you know, you also need diapers, baby food, you know, whatever else. So he managed to pay back his repatriation loan in short order while still living. Goal accomplished, right? Now granted Lee Oswald didn't stay at too many jobs for a very long time, and I'm sure there's various reasons for it. And I'm sure it's not only because Oswald stop showing up for them okay this is a guy he should know you know right from wrong hey you need to have a job so you can pay your bills and take care of your family i mean he's not stupid okay and his poor russian wife doesn't even know english she can't work anywhere okay so he knows that he has to be the breadwinner he has to bring home the bacon. Now, if your income is being supplemented, of course, by, let's say, an informant fee. Like, say, maybe you're an FBI informant. Um, or, you know, you're, you have, you're a CIA informant making, I don't know, 200 bucks a month or so. Back then, that's a lot of money. And you might not be so worried about your regular Joe job, you know. It might, might give you a little bit more flexibility to say, hey, you know, screw you, boss. I don't need this shit. I'll find something else, okay. It might allow you to pay back your loan a little more quickly, you know. Just just spitballing here, you know. Um, either way, Goal accomplished. Okay. Now you're back in the States. You know, you're feeling a little political. You know, and uh, you want your viewpoints heard. You know. So he manages to get himself booked to give a speech at the Jesuit College about life in Russia. And he gets his message out. Goal accomplished. He feels very strongly that the United States should continue or restart uh, their their trade with Cuba, and and not have them embargoed because of this Castro business going on in Cuba. He wants fair play for Cuba, okay, or trade. Um, so. It's not an unrealistic goal. If this is what he really feels, okay, he gets on t- you know, he hands out his flyers. He gets these flyers made. He, 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 he takes it upon himself to make this chapter of, of the Fair Play for Cuba committee in New Orleans. Um, he manages to hand out his flyers, you know, which allows him to get in a fight, to get noticed, to get on the radio, Where he has, you know, I think it was a half hour or so to explain um, exactly what he thought about Marxism, communism, Cuba. Um, You know, and then he was brought back on the radio for, for another interview, which was mainly just attacking him on that one. But, you know... This guy wanted to be noticed because of his ideals, mission, and goal accomplished, okay now all this while all this stuff is going on, you know maybe just maybe he had met some of his old friends in New Orleans who got him hooked up with a way to make some extra money by posing as a communist to out other communists. Hmm. Maybe, just maybe, that's a possibility. If, in fact, his defection was an intelligence operation, then it would make sense that he would do something like this to earn a little extra money. Um, Unwittingly, (laughs) okay, giving him the perfect Sheep dipping for a patsy later on, but if he thought he was doing something good and he was earning a little extra money to do so, um, then in his eyes, no harm, no foul. Right? He was doing something to out other communists. You know, if these other if these other people wanted to join his group or or talk talk more to him, you know, he could give a guy Bannister names to pass on up the ladder. There's rumors that you know he he wanted to help train the uh, the uh, anti Castro Cubans at Lake train because he had Marine Corps training. He would he would have been perfect to help train these guerrillas to fight. Um, you know, so it's just not out of the realm of possibility now. Suppose he had another plan coming up. Now, there's one of two ways you can look at this. You can look at it like, okay, maybe things weren't so great here in America once he's back. Maybe things were better in Russia. You know, maybe things, maybe life was easier in Russia. Maybe he had better friends in Russia. Maybe he liked Russian life, the simplicity of, without all the extra crap of capitalism tossed into it maybe he did want to go back in fact he had Marina start writing letters to the embassy to get her and and, and June to get back into Russia which a couple months later in April and May turned into trying to get her and Lee and June back into Russia um These requests were denied. So what if he was desperate and he felt that the only solution to this would be to go to Mexico City, to the Cuban consulate, to try to get into Cuba that way, and then from Cuba back into Russia, because Cuba was a communist uh, state um, under the control of Mother Russia. Seems like a perfectly legit plan, right? Sure. Well, when that doesn't work, he walks over to the Russian consulate and explains himself and his quarry and, uh, or his quandary and explains to them, look, I need to get into Cuba and back to Russia. Okay. Now, why would he have been so, so desperate to go back to Russia? Was the FBI hounding him? Was there maybe two factions within the FBI that one didn't know what the other one was doing and one's harassing him? Because they were supposed to be watching for him. Really? There is no greater reason in the world for the FBI to frame Oswald than the fact that that they were incompetent in their duties, if Oswald was the assassin, then they look like a bunch of bumbling idiots. Because it's their job to watch people like Lee Oswald. Whether they were up to no good or not. Okay, this guy was a Russian defector. We know how everybody, including Hoover, and local police and individuals felt about communists in their midst. If they truly felt that this guy was some kind of a defector. I mean, he went on the radio in New Orleans. Okay, He was on the HT lingual mail program for the CIA to open his mail. They, they knew, they were supposed to know where he was Where he was living, where he was working, what he was doing. Whenever he was back. And for them to drop the ball so hard on November 22nd. Is just unfathomable for the FBI. They would have looked ridiculous if Lee Oswald did it. And they didn't do anything uh, to stop him. Other than Hostie going and questioning Marina a couple times. That's it. That's it. Um, And this was when the president is coming to town. To this hometown that Lee Oswald is living in right now. Dallas, Texas. They don't watch him. They don't throw him in the jail cell over the weekend to make sure he does nothing. It's unbelievable. You know, that's part of their job. To work with the Secret Service hand in hand. And check out all possible threats to the President. You know, it's unbelievable what they did not do that weekend. Now, let me move on a little bit to, let's talk about what exactly, I mean, the lineup that they put Lee Oswald in is a joke, okay, it's an utter ridiculous joke. You have this guy in a torn up t-shirt and a black eye whose hair is messed up. In a lineup with people in suits and ties. I mean, who's, who's not going to point out the dummy with a big swollen eye and a torn t-shirt? I mean, it's quite obvious who the suspect is here. Um, and as far as eyewitnesses go, you know, Lone Nutters will tell you, oh, no, no. Howard Brennan saw him in the window. You know, Amos Ewan saw him in the window. Well, let's look exactly at what these people said they saw in the window, okay? Because uh, some of it differs, (laughs) Uh, you know, when you're looking at first day testimony to Warren Commission testimony. Gee, I wonder why. Um, Let's take a look at what Arnold Rowland said. I noticed on the 6th floor of the building, there was a man back from the window, not hanging out the window. He was standing and holding a rifle. This appeared to me to be a fairly high-powered rifle because of the scope, and in the relative proportion of the scope to the rifle. You can tell about what type of rifle it is. You can tell it's not a twenty two, you know, and we thought momentarily that maybe we should tell someone, but then the thought came to us that it is a security agent, possibly, and this was on the west corner of the building. Now, just from that... Um, you know, it's hard to tell because the windows of this place were dirty as hell. And even if the windows open a little bit, it would have been at, like, knee level. Okay? So for this guy to see somebody in an open window... He says he was standing and holding a rifle... He would have had to been sitting and holding a rifle. And then he says something about it had to be a fairly high-powered rifle because of the scope and the proportion of the scope to the rifle. Now, what he's talking about here is the size uh, scope on the rifle. And we know this is not accurate of the Carcano because it's got this dinky little shitty four-power uh, Japanese scope on it. And it doesn't look like anything impressive at all. Uh Roland goes on to say to describe the rifle. It appeared to me to be a 30-06 deer rifle with a fairly large and powerful scope. Um what else did he say? Uh Roland's description was of a rifle that could not have been the Manlik or Carcano. Other witnesses described a barrel Too long to be the depository rifle, and that's another point that I want to make very clear here. Um, And we get that with let's talk about Robert Jackson, he was a reporter for the Dallas Times Herald who was riding in one of the press cars in the motorcade. Uh, Spectre says, What is your best estimate of how many inches of the rifle you observed? Mr. Jackson says, I saw the barrel about and about half. Uh, well, I did not see a telescopic sight, but I did see part of the stock. So, I guess about 8 or 10 inches of stock, maybe. I did see part of the stock. I did not see the sight. 8 or 10 inches of stock? How much of the barrel would you estimate? I guess possibly a foot. Okay. Now, everybody that's ever seen a picture of the Manica Carcano knows that it does not have a foot-long barrel on it, Okay. It extends from the stock only three or four inches. Now, the reason for this is because the rifle was originally to be equipped with a bayonet on the end of it. Okay, and then it was for close quarters combat. You know, this is an, you know, an early World War I, uh, World War II rifle. You know, designed for close quarters combat. So, if Mr. Jackson says he saw a foot of the barrel, then either he's lying or it wasn't a Manly Carcano that he saw. And this is a guy in the motorcade passing by in the press car, looking up and telling us what he's seeing here. Okay? Malcolm Couch, who we know from the Couch film... Uh, he was a part-time uh, news cameraman with WFAA TV in Dallas. He was riding in the same press car as the man we were just talking about, Jackson, and he described what he saw. Jackson, who was, as I recall, on my right, yelled something like, look up in the window, there's the rifle. And I remember glancing up to a window on the far right, which at the time impressed me as the sixth or seventh floor, and about a foot of a rifle being uh the barrel brought into the window i saw no one in that window just a quick second glance or a quick one second glance at the barrel so malcolm couch also saw a foot-long barrel uh mr Beelan did you see any of the stock of the rifle mr couch says no did you any, see anything more than a steel barrel of a rifle? Mr. Couch says, no. So, we have another long, long barrel. Now, let's get to Amos Ewens, okay? He was a 15-year-old uh, colored kid who testified that he saw the barrel sticking out the window and at first thought it was some sort of a pipe. Specter asked him, how long was the piece of pipe that you saw? Ewens It was sticking out about that much, about 14 or 15 inches. Yes, sir, Ewan said. And then after I seen it sticking out, after a while, that is when I heard the shot and everybody started looking around. Spectre says, at that time, Amos, did you see anything besides the end of the pipe? Mr. Ewan's, no, sir. So, we have Ewan saying it was about 14, 15 inches. Uh... The other guy is saying about a foot without seeing any part of the wooden stock. Okay. Um, these witnesses all described a rifle with a barrel of between 12 and 15 inches. Two of them testifying that they saw that much barrel without seeing any part of the wooden stock. Evidence that the rifle fired from the sixth floor window was not the 6.5 liquor Carcano alleged to have been the murder weapon. Now, James Worrell, who was a 20-year-old, who was standing on the corner of Houston and Elm Street, six stories directly below the sniper's window. During his testimony, he marked his position with an X and the position of the window where he saw the rifle with a Y. It is the Commission Exhibit 360, okay? Now, he's, he's basically standing almost at the corner of Elm and Houston on the depository side, uh, and he's marked... The sixth floor window, the alleged six-floor window sniper's nest right there. Boom. Right there on the uh, CE-360. He described the rifle that he saw to the commission. Mr. Worrell, I saw about six inches of the gun, the rifle. It had, well, it had a regular long barrel, but it had a long stock, and you could see only maybe four inches of barrel. And I could see, Mr. Specter, were you able to observe any of the stock? Oh, yes. Uh, Worrell said, Mr. Spector, how much of the stock were you able to observe? Just very little, just about two inches. How many inches of the barrel then could you observe protruding, protruding beyond the stock? Mr. Worrell, about four inches, I would say, not very much. Uh, pretty convincing, huh? But how did, how did he know it had a long barrel if he only saw four inches of it? Because he saw more than four inches of it. Okay. And on page 19 of of commission document 5. We find the statement that Worrell. Gave to the FBI. The day after the assassination. In it he told the FBI. That he saw 12 inches of barrel. Okay. This is from the FBI. um, Interview of James Richard Worrell. Furnished the following information. To patrolman. I can't read his name. Uh, Anderton uh, Police Department of Special Agent Lewis Kelly. On Friday, November 22nd at 1230, he was standing on the sidewalk in front of the Texas School Book Depository watching President Kennedy's procession pass. He heard a shot from above his head and at first thought it was a firecracker. But when he looked up, he saw about 12 inches of a gun barrel sticking out a window of the building. He said this window was either on the 5th or 6th floor. He saw the gun fire once again and looked at President Kennedy in time to see him slump forward on the seat of his car. He was unable to see who was firing the gun. Now, uh, why would the Warren Commission or the FBI have pressured James Worrell to change what he told the FBI on November 23rd? Okay, this would have been fresh in his mind. This would have been most accurate in his mind. You know, it's probably one of those deals where, oh, James, you must be mistaken about seeing 12 inches of barrel because the Manicor Carcano that we found only has about four inches of barrel. Uh, so you have to be wrong. So you can't go in there and say it has 12 inch barrel. You have to say it has four or people are not going to believe you. You know, it's it's as simple as that, people. You know, Worrell's statement that he had seen 12 inches of barrel sticking out of a window was consistent with those of other witnesses who saw the barrel. Even more significant is that all of the witnesses' descriptions of the length of the barrel eliminated any possibility that the man liquor Carcano was the rifle that they saw. As for Worrell, by the time he testified before the commission on March 10th, okay, he had only seen six inches of the rifle, and two inches of that was wooden stock. So what changed his testimony in those four months? Worrell testified that on the Wednesday before his appearance, before the commission, he got a phone call from Dallas Secret Service Chief Forrest Sorrels. Mr. Worrell. Well, Mr. Sorrels interviewed me when he called me and asked me some questions when he called me up Wednesday night, I guess it was. Mr. Spector asked, what was... Was that in relation to your coming here to this commission hearing? Mr. Worrell said yes. Spectre says, What sort of questions did Mr. Sorrels ask you? Mr. Worrell, about what I saw and I told him. So there you have it, folks. Okay? It's, it doesn't get any simpler than that to see the corruption of the Secret Service, the FBI, the Warren Commission, um, you you know, stuff like that. It's called witness tampering. Okay. If this had been a court case, the case would have just been thrown out on this. Okay. You can't have the head of, of the Dallas secret service calling a witness who's testifying, uh, you know, basically before a grand jury about what exactly it was that they saw. Now, of course, they're not going to have, uh, Worrell on the record claiming that Soros told him to change the length of the gun but how else would it have happened okay unless the Warren Commission itself had got to Worrell. Um, they never questioned why his FBI report differed from what they told him they just ignored it okay they never addressed it so and these are our, these are our eyewitnesses not to mention that amos Ewens originally turned to underwood uh, another reporter and told him that he had seen a black man with the gun okay now this is pretty pretty damning stuff here um it definitely eliminates lee oswald you know some people say they saw two people on the sixth floor two people Okay, so who else was there? Who could it have been? Well, I'll tell you. But you're going to have to wait until like, eh, eh, around the 1st of November. Because I'm going to have a very, 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 very super special top secret guest. Somebody you haven't heard from before on this very show to tell you exactly what happened that day. And how it was done. But you're gonna to have to wait a little while. About another month and a half. And then I will make sure to let you know. So just to wrap all this up with a neat little bow, you know, if if Oswald was the assassin of the president, that would mean that he wanted to kill President Kennedy for for whatever reason. There is no real reason. But say he had a reason. Okay, that we don't know. Then he accomplished his goal. So, you, all you lone nutters out there, you tell me how this guy is such a loser when he did nothing but accomplish goal after goal after goal after goal after goal that he ever set for himself in his life. How is he a loser? How is he a loser? He even got away with the shooting, if, he, if it was him up there shooting. He even got away with it. He managed to get out of the building unseen, unscathed, and get away. And through some fluke, he managed to get caught. Okay? So how is this guy a loser? How? How is he a loser? He also managed to stay alive and get captured alive. How is he a loser? But he's so narcissistic and proud of himself and wanting to be famous that he blatantly exclaimed while in custody, I emphatically deny these charges. No, sir. I didn't shoot anybody. And that, folks, is your patsy. Your lone nut. You know, people like this don't kill presidents. The man had just had a baby. I don't care how bad your marriage is. I don't care how shitty your job is. Okay? It doesn't make you want to go kill the president. Killing the president accomplishes nothing other than getting your name in the history books for all eternity. That's it. Okay? But he didn't even want to be known as the killer of the president because he admitted to nothing. Not to the police, not the FBI, not the postal inspector, nobody. Not his mother, not his brother, not his wife. Nobody that he did this, what he was accused of. He emphatically denied The charges. The man had just had a baby a month before this. Okay, family men who just had a baby. How is your life so bad that you want to go shoot the president? Explain that to me, please. Because I don't get it. You know, there's plenty of other ways he could have expressed himself if he wasn't happy with his life. He could have just said, you know what, Marina? Marina? Screw it. Screw you. Screw our marriage. Screw the kids. We'll go to court, get joint custody. I'll pay child support. I don't care as long as they don't have to put up with you anymore. We'll get a divorce. That's it. And I'm going to live my life. You know, what, what would drive a man to shoot the president of the United States whose life was just so horrible. When in actuality, it wasn't that horrible. At least he had a job. He didn't really have problems getting a job. Um you know, he might have had problems keeping the job, but was that due to him or was that due to the FBI sniffing around behind him and going to talk to his employers? explaining, oh, this is the guy, he affected Russia, you really want to have a communist working here for you? I mean, it's not that hard, people. It's not that hard to steer this man's life into utter decay. To make him this miserable. But still doesn't explain... The drive, the need, the want, the motive to kill the President of the United States. For what? For what? Fame? He didn't want fame. He admitted nothing. He emphatically denied the charges. Emphatically emphatically so keep that in mind so for all you lone nutters out there explain this to me you call him a loser he didn't lose anything in his life he accomplished every goal he set out to accomplish and more and exceeded it so how is he a loser how is he a loner when he had friends in high school he had friends in the marine corps he had friends in russia how is he a loner how? Explain that to me. He wasn't a loner. He wasn't a loser, and he wasn't crazy. No indications of any of that. So, without that being the case, there is no motive whatsoever. There's even a problem with the guns. There's even a problem with the guns. He did you know this? Okay. He he didn't even receive. The handgun that he ordered or the rifle that he ordered. Either one. He got sent different ones than the ones that he ordered. Okay. And there's problems all along the way with, you know, the rifle, the money order, Klein's sporting goods and on and on and on. Um, It's just... It's it's crazy. You know, th- there was a thing called the Dodd Committee back then by Senator Thomas Dodd. He was looking into uh, interstate traffic of mail-order firearms. Hearings for these sessions were held January 29th and January 30th, March 7th, May 1st, and 2nd, 1963. Okay. Now, is it out of the realm of possibility that so-called investigators for this Dodd Committee, uh, working in conjunction with... FBI, uh, you know, could, 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 could be happening here. You know, they point out that both of the firms that Oswald ordered from Kleins and Seaport Traders were under investigation by the DOT committee at the time of the orders. And using an alias, um, maybe could have possibly wanted to see if it was possible for someone using a fake name uh, with no ties to a PO box or anything. Could actually obtain a firearm through the mail, and according to them, it worked. Um, you know, the the thirty eight caliber Smith and Wesson that Wileswell supposedly had, um, showed that the gun gun dealer did not ship a thirty eight Smith and Wesson revolver to Dallas in nineteen sixty three. Now, this is from the Dodd committee hearings, based on a claim that a chart based on an ATF-prepared Seaport Trader records shows that the gun dealer did not ship a 38 Smith & Wesson revolver to Dallas in 63. The chart, Dodd Committee Exhibit 28, is reproduced in the manuscript to underscore this claim. This off passage has been used as the cornerstone of critical claims that the revolver attributed to Oswald was a plant dropped into Oswald's hand at the Texas Theater or switched with Oswald's real gun. And that the paper trail later presented was fabricated to frame Oswald. Okay? Now, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's just not. You know, and, and John Armstrong's done a lot of good work on this. Gil Jesus, who, whose article I was reading from earlier. Um, and, you know, it's just problem after problem after problem. When you really, really start looking at how Oswald supposedly got these guns, um, you know a lot of it just doesn't doesn't hold water or pan out. But you know it is what it is. I emphatically deny these charges, sir. So there's some food for thought about your Mister Oswald. You know they even some of these loan notes claim, oh, he, he he was he what he. He was a James Bond wannabe, a Herbert Philbert wannabe. He, you know, he was a nobody. You know, but his mother seemed to think that he was a secret agent of some kind, that he had told her this. He told her that he was an undercover secret agent. Okay? You know, now if, now if your mother, if you're a defector to Russia and, you know, your mother is going to have questions about what the hell are you doing, son, don't worry, Mom, I'm, I'm an undercover secret agent. I can't tell you any more than that but just know that I'm on the right I'm the, one of the good guys here you know you're going to tell her that to ease her mind so it is what it is people So Lone Nutters if you've got a good reason why I should believe that it's possible that Oswald shot Kennedy let me know when all the eyewitnesses say different that it wasn't that Carcano. It was a gun with a very long barrel and a very large scope and a high-powered rifle. This is what the eyewitnesses who are looking up at the window, two people in the motorcade and two people standing on the street, saw. And one pressured to change their story by the Secret Service and the Warren Commission. So, take that to the bank and deposit it. That's it for this week, people. This is your boy, Rob Clark, of the Lone Gumman Podcast. Peace. What's up, Ben and Denmark? I see you. And John, you are the man, sir. I appreciate it. And if you'd like to donate, like my friend John, head over to TLGpodcast.com and hit the donate button. Buy your boy a cup of coffee. I would greatly appreciate it. Peace.
3: Just look up When will they learn This lonely?